Welcome to Jubilations, a Judaic podcast intended to educate, inspire, and motivate your hungry Jewish mind. Each week, Jubilations dives into the minds of influential Jewish people, speaking powerful words of wisdom. Thank you for listening to the Jubilations podcast. This week, I have a special guest, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Uh, He is the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, that has sold over 300,000 copies to date. It has been translated into Hebrew, French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, Italian, Russian, German, Hungarian, Polish, Czech, and Croatian. Rabbi Jacobson heads the Meaningful Life Center, which bridges the secular and the spiritual through a wide variety of live and online programming. The Meaningful Life Center presents to people of all backgrounds the universal teachings of Torah as a blueprint for life. Meaningful Life Center, called a spiritual Starbucks by the New York Times, is an outgrowth of Rabbi Jacobson's teachings which have captured the hearts of thousands of participants over the last 25 years with their spiritual message and profound insights into the human condition. For over 14 years, Rabbi Jacobson, as editor-in-chief of Vad Hanachas Hat Mimim, was responsible for publishing the talks of the late Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Beginning in 1979, he headed up a team of scholars that memorized and transcribed entire talks that the Rebbe gave during the Sabbath and holidays, as writing and tape recording are not permitted on holy days. In this position, Rabbi Jacobson was privileged to work in close association with the Rebbe and published more than a thousand of the Rebbe's talks. Jacobson is one of the greatest scholars and sought-after speakers in the Jewish world today. He has lectured to diverse audiences on six continents and in 40 states on psycho-spiritual issues and applying Jewish thought to contemporary life. His voice is rooted in the timeless teachings of Torah, yet at the same time is profoundly timely, relevant, unique, and cutting-edge. He has been interviewed on over 300 radio and TV shows, including CNN with Larry King, The Charlie Rose Show, and the CBS News show, The Best of Us. He is also the publisher of the Algeminer Journal, according to CNBC, the fastest growing Jewish newspaper in America, filling the position of his father, esteemed journalist, Gershon Jacobson. Rabbi Simon Jacobson is the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, and has sold over 300,000 copies to date. He is the founder of the Meaningful Life Center and the publisher of the Algeminer Journal. Rabbi, welcome to Jubilations. How are you today? Thank you very much. A real pleasure and honor to be here with you. Thank you. Rabbi, what is the focus of your most recent book, Toward a Meaningful Life? It's essentially a uh, universal blueprint for meaningful living. Uh, I asked people literally off the street of all backgrounds and religions and non-religion, men, women, and uh, Jews, non-Jews, believers, atheists, like what are the 30 most important themes in your life? 
And everybody comes up with the same 30, no matter what background. Obviously, each of us in a different stage of life, but things like birth, education, childhood, marriage, love, intimacy, uh, work, money, uh, um, uh, health, fear and anxiety. So I created a book based on those those ideas, 30, 31 chapter book that has like three sections, one that deals with personal issues and interpersonal issues like I just mentioned. The second section is like social issues like um, technology, women and men, responsibility, government. And the third is a theological uh, section on things like God, faith, uh, unity, miracles, good and evil. And uh, it's written in a language really for everybody, for non-prohibitive. It's based on universal ideas of Jewish timeless thought, but it's really, I would say, a psycho-spiritual type of book, psychological, spiritual, but not uh, necessarily just for the academic, written in a very personal and uh, intimate way. So many of us can understand it then. <laughs> I think everybody can, and thank yeah. God it's really done well. Yes. And it really, t- it takes your life as it is and tries to add value to make it a deeper more meaningful, more purposeful, more more uh, wholesome life. Very really, nice. as I would sum it up that way. That's good. I love it. The New York Times has called Meaningful Life Center a spiritual Starbucks. Like, I look at this as a coffee with sparkles in it, and it t- sounds totally yummy to me. But can you give some detail of your wonderful center? Absolutely. The reason they call it spiritual Starbucks is because, um, I don't know if you've heard of the concept called the third space. Uh, third space, Barnes & Noble actually was the one that uh, innovated it, that they felt that there's people have two spaces in their lives, their workspace and their home space. And felt they create a third space, like a social space, where you could just hang out. You know, um, uh, where that's why they bought this lot of real estate, and it was a very counterintuitive. Will people just sit around and give them free uh, space, like sitting in a couch or at a cafe? And what does it have to do with selling books? But it ended up being a brilliant move because Barnes & Noble became a tremendous social center with selling millions of books. And Starbucks really took that idea to the next level. And if you look at their mission, it's about creating community, one, one cup at a time. The idea, again, of a social connection. So I always felt that the Meaningful Life Center, I always felt that in this hectic world in which we live, fast-paced, inundated with technology, that people really need some place they can be comfortable for their souls. A place where you can just, not home, not work, but a place you can come with a friend or on your own and listen to some music or have a coffee, but also hear something meaningful, getting some life skills, helping us uh, cope and uh, thrive, actually, in a world that is so, um, on one hand, so advanced, but so, on the other hand, so impersonal with the crisis, literally, in the area of intimate and personal relationships. So that's what Meaningful Life Center essentially is, that type of environment. Frankly, it's even more successful online than on, on, on location because online you simply have the reach to so many people. But as much as you can in, in, in an online experience, try to make it warm and uh, inviting. Someone just told me the other day really something that touched me. They said, you know, I wake up sometimes at night anxious or unable to sleep. And I love to go to your site. Just I love the colors. I just love I feel like I'm in my living room. I feel True. I feel nurtured. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to capture the the spirit of it. Yes, definitely. And actually the beauty of that we have all these things online is that they can sit at Starbucks and they can do it. They can read everything they need to read. So that's wonderful. Um, so you talk about 
soul workout. I love that saying, but can you explain it so people can understand what it means? Absolutely. Um, there's a line in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, that uh, I use a lot, which I think really resonates and says, just as your body needs to be nourished, if you would be a healthy human being, you need to also nourish your soul. And uh, look at our human bodies. Look, we have gyms, we have health uh, clubs, we have diets, we have uh, spas. I mean, we have a whole array of uh, offerings to help so-called improve our bodies. But uh, do we have so-called spiritual spas and a soul uh, gym, which is where the concept came of a soul workout. You need a body workout, you need a soul workout. You need soul, soul hygiene uh, type of evaluation. Because frankly, just as the body is made up of parts and components and it needs different vitamins and minerals and food and different exercises to thrive, the soul is also made up of parts. The psyche has also dimensions. For example, the dimension called love. Are you feeding your love? Are you, uh, in a healthy way, uh, nourishing and nurturing your emotional faculties? And so it's not quite as physical as a physical gym, but it could be quite a workout to be able to really evaluate and examine your emotional health. Just to use an example. Some people are very loving, but they don't know how to discipline their love or harness their love. So that they can end up spoiling children or uh, killing someone even and flooding them with their love. So you need to have the discipline in love, which is another emotional faculty. So this is a workout that I just, for example, gave a very quick one, which is, first of all, looking at yourself and evaluating how your emotional reactions and your uh, the tendencies and patterns and habits we have. And then try to adjust it by working it out and trying to so-called flex the spiritual and psychological muscles and uh, of our uh, of our emotions and our inner uh, spiritual lives. You know, it's funny. A lot of people work out to release pressure, and this almost sounds like it's something they could do to really help that. They really think just by constantly doing their physical workout, it's going to make that better. But really, this is that's really important. Your soul is Absolutely. the most important. You know, today you have mindfulness, uh, meditation. There's a lot of that space that people create a space and just try to go into an inner space. That is essentially a soul workout. So I don't, we don't monopolize this world. A word, it's actually very uh, something that's crucial. I think for any any human being needs that. There's no such thing as not having a space of your own and not just being continuously. Your machine can't keep running all the time without some pause or without some uh, um, introspection and reflection. So true. So you recently spoke with a group of uh, Chabad young professionals. Uh, they came, there was a flood of these kids that came to New York, I think 40 plus young adults. And they had a discussion after you spoke to them. And they said that you had suggested four things when looking for a partner and that you should try to connect with them spiritually, emotionally, physically, and intellectually. But the interesting conversation they'd had after was they didn't feel they would settle for just one or some of those, that they wanted everything in a person. And how would you guide these people to not worry about everything all the time like this? Okay, great question. Yes, it was a great group. And I really, uh, I fed off of them. I felt it was a great energy. It was last Saturday morning, I remember, yeah. And we had some coffee and cheesecake and stuff like that. That always helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, 
you you meant you uh, described all four correctly. I would just change the order. Okay. I think it's vital. You know, physical compatibility. I think we all understand is physical or sexual attraction. Uh, emotional compatibility. You know, you can be physically attracted to a model, and then have no and there's nobody home emotionally. And then of course there's intellectual, some respective ideas where you uh, share ideas and ideologies. But what I was emphasizing most is that those three, as important as they are, are all lacking the what's called the eternal quality that makes a love forever after. Because at the end of the day, physical looks, emotional needs, intellectual interests shift and change in life. And that's where you find, unfortunately, many people say, you know what? I now have someone else that I feel more connected with or more stimulated by or more attracted to. Whereas spiritual compatibility, what I would call the vision of your life, the the values you share with your partner, is not subject to that same type of change because those are eternal values. What kind of home you want to build, what kind of children you want to bring into the world, what legacy you want to, what mark in the what mark do you want to leave in this world? And though it's true to get perfection of having all four perfect is not realistic, but I think putting it into context and framing it in that those four steps or four dimensions, I should say, it helps people really focus when they speak to someone. And I find that in our generation, in our time, the fourth is most lacking. People are, there's a lot of physical attraction, there's emotional, intellectual, but to have a higher value, the transcendent dimension of a relationship is what I would call it. A dimension that you see when people have been together for a long time, there's just that connection that's far beyond looks or um, or uh, or emotional intellectual but also something transcendent something they just share which will forever live on forever even after they're gone and I think it's really a matter of balance I don't think it's a matter of getting all it's a matter of trying to find a little of each or at least some of each right so you know, true so it's. true you have a uh, some nice things on your website too about soulmates which I think people should also kind of take a look at you are the publisher of the largest Yiddish-English weekly newspaper, the Algemeiner Journal. You filled the position of your father, the esteemed journalist Gershon Jacobson, after he passed away in 2005. Can you explain to us the mission of the journal? Absolutely. My father founded in 1972, and then um, it was actually a Yiddish newspaper, a Yiddish because the Yiddish newspapers were dying out, and he was passionate about the language. But the language wasn't just the language. It was the language of the Holocaust survivors. It was the language of the people who were, um, uh, who were persecuted in uh, Europe and were rebuilding their lives. Now, obviously, as the years rolled on, in, 19, in the 60s and 70s, a new generation was born. It no longer was the number one priority. Well, my father always felt that obligation to give people the courage and the strength and a sense of confidence of them being involved in a Jewish life. And I can tell you, many people have told me that this was the paper that was more than just a newspaper. It gave me hope and strength and gave me confidence. So I feel that, uh, that I wanted to continue that mission in our time, and that is essentially addressing the same issue. We have our own crisis today. First of all, Israel is under attack, both in the PR world and even physically. And the Jews, many of them, don't even have a good connection or sense of their own of their own heritage. So I feel the mission of it is, it's really a non-sectarian newspaper. It's not a religious paper. It has over two and a half thousand bloggers of different schools of thought from the liberal to the conservative. 
And the word algemeiner itself means all-encompassing. So it really is a platform for diverse voices, but one of Jewish pride, addressing issues that other media outlets don't address, and really being a voice of courage. You know, media today, as you know, whatever position one is in, whether they're anti-Trump or pro-Trump, has become a very partisan, very polarized. And this is a very balanced and center type of approach to life and tries to give a little uh, perspective and uh, always the Jewish wisdom that we always had for thousands of years that really kept us together despite our different opinions. As you know, Jews can argue like no one can argue, but they also love each other. And that's what we try to capture, that that sense. My father, I remember saying in an interview long, not right before he passed away, he said, when I come up above to heaven and they'll ask me, what did I accomplish? He says, I don't know, I didn't leave any portfolios for my children, but I could say I brought a smile to some Jewish faces. Uh, so I feel that we continue to do that. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, it's great. I'm so glad that that continues on because so many things don't, so it's very nice. So my, my favorite part about you is... You are just one of the most interesting people on this planet. You had this. <laughs> you had this. That's a strong statement. I on know, the but but yeah. So you had this wonderful opportunity of mentally recording the late Rebbe Schneerson's talks, and you transcribed them. Can you explain in more detail so people know what you did in this amazing feat that you used to do? Yes. Well, on Shabbat and holidays um, in my community, we did not use recordings or uh, notes. So when my mentor, my teacher, the, the Rebbe, Rebbe Schneerson, who passed away in 1990, uh, 1994, uh, when he would speak and give these dissertations, very dense and complicated, it was uh, without any recordings and no notes, sometimes four or five hours with breaks where they would sing a song and uh, say a l'chaim. And uh, so the only way to preserve it was through memory, where I and a small group and I was one of the main guys that would listen and absorb hours and hours of these talks, like you could say, like walking uh, tape recorders, if you wish. And then after the holiday or after the Shabbat, we would sit down and write it. And I would then uh, reproduce, rec recreate it on paper. So let's say an hour of talk has to would yield 20 pages. This was like four hours would be 80 pages. And we were really good at it. And it's a feat that very few people can understand how it's possible. But I'll tell you one key secret to it all. The secret of listening. The secret of listening. Most of us don't know how to listen because we bring in our preconceived ideas and we process while we're listening. True listening is like children listen. They have clean slate. They're like a dry sponge and a dry sponge absorbs everything. So it may be hard to get a child's attention, but once you do, they absorb. That's why you can teach a child easily ABC. Try to teach an adult ABC. They won't have patience or time for it. Our adult minds are saturated like wet sponges, and a wet sponge doesn't absorb. So we literally have to shut down the processor in the brain and just be the absorber and listener, and that's the key to memory. I know it sounds simple, but it's very hard to do because when you hear an idea, you immediately are saying, oh, that idea connects to other ideas. We already have a framework, and we uh, have our prejudices and our biases and our different attitudes. And even our brilliance can work against us. As a matter of fact, the talks he delivered that I understood, I actually remembered less of than the ones I didn't understand. Because <laughs> my processor and my mind was trying to understand it and try to instead of retain it. And that uh, the, the sponge example is a perfect example. Yeah. So 
obviously this is, I'm even considering writing a book about this topic because I think it's like the secrets of the mind that I learned through doing this process um, was unbelievable. So thank God I was able to do it. Thousand, I mean, I would say over a thousand talks were transcribed this way from memory and we have them now for posterity. Isn't that amazing? And I'm sorry, but I do not think this sounds like it's an easy task. Not at all, because I no, always say my gigabytes are full. I just can't. So my sponge is full. Well, don't say your sponge is completely uh, <laughs> wet, because you're doing this program, you're listening to people, you're giving them a platform. We have a lot more in our sponge than we think we do. So do you feel that being in the Rebbe's life for the years that you were, do you think you get directive from the Rebbe to do all the things that you do? Do you think that that was the ba- Obviously, that was the basis for you. But do you think that you get directive from him? You mean today or in general? Yeah, I think. Well, I could I'll say tell both. You, I mean, the key thing is this: um, a great teacher is not someone that teaches you knowledge and data and information. A great teacher is someone who teaches you methodology, who teaches you how to solve a problem. Doesn't just tell you the solution to problems. Like they say, that teaches you doesn't just give you the fish, but teaches you how to fish. So that way, that lives on. I learned tremendous methodology that I learned from my great teacher, and I apply it to situations today that I may not have heard from him a direct answer from the Rebbe, but I can apply it. And that, I believe, is what great good parents do and good educators do. They empower you to live on with your own skills and tools, but they've helped you get uh, harness them towards solving issues and challenges and problems. And I hope I can do the same for those that listen and read my teachings and writings. Yeah. So you do have a lot of people that follow you, and you're quite an inspiration to so, so, so many people. Uh, how would you suggest to get others to get started on, on a new journey, on a better path? It all starts with motivation and uh, focus. See, we're so, so, we're so busy with our lives. Think of it like a car that's already going at 80 miles an hour. You can't just... Stop. You know, we have our schedules, our routines. We go to work. We have our families. We have these expectations. We have our therapists. We have our, you know, the, the, the neurosis of our lives. I'm not going to go through the whole list. So we're not starting with a clean slate, with a dry sponge, if I could use that analogy. We already have our routines. So if you were talking about for our children, I would say anyone blessed with children, start, teach them early. Have them focus on what they need to focus. Every morning and every evening, tell, tell them, you know, you've come to this world to live a world of meaning, a purposeful life. You have a personal mission in life. Just like a business can't function without a mission statement, you can't function without a mission. It cultivated in them. Now, for us adults who are already on the highway, so to speak, on the merry-go-round, the key thing is to create space. I would say anyone looking to grow needs to create space. And a great time is in the morning. You wake up in the morning, a short meditation, let's say 60 seconds. We have a very a classic prayer that is universal. Anyone can say or anyone can meditate on that goes back thousands of years. It's called Moda'ani. Thank you. We don't even say the word God. Thank you for returning my soul to me. Basically, thank you for infusing me with life, renewing my contract, for uh, giving me the opportunities and skills to make my unique mark in the little world on which I live. And I think if you begin the day that way and you end the day with a similar meditation that you're going into a sleep and saying, I've concluded my day today, thank you for giving me the day, and now I entrust my soul to you, 
if you punctuate the day in that way, from beginning to end, it begins to create an awareness. It's like children. You know what children need more than anything, more than gifts and trips and money and, and iPads and so on? They need attention. You give your soul attention and it will give you back much more than you give it. Attention means time. Five minutes, quality time. I have a soul beating inside of me. I am, you know, most people, you ask them, for example, who are you? They give you their business card. That's not who you are. That's what you do. And when I point it out to people, they say, well, you know, sadly, what I do has become who I am. But it should be the other way around. Who you are should define what you do. But life takes over. You've got to pay the bills. We have, as I said, our patterns. So I think the key is to be aware of that. Step back and start focusing on who you are. And that should define what you do. A good place to begin is to read my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, if I may add. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, people really need to go to your website. They need to see that you have like all the spiritual bases covered, a buffet of topics. So they need to visit MeaningfulLife.com. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time today out of this amazing life that you have and sharing it with some of it with us today. I am. I am. I, it's, it's a pleasure you give off a great vibe and energy, and it uh, brings out my vibes as well. And it's a honor, and I want to commend you for being a platform and using your your skills to really reach people. And I am just feel honored to be part of it. Thanks, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Shabbat my shalom. Pleasure. Have a great Shabbos. Shabbos shabbat shalom to you and yeah. to all your audience and to everyone. Thanks for listening to Jubilations. May you go from strength to strength.